This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Cult pastors who are starting to take notice as their congregations become more and more aware of the many discrepancies that they have found hidden from them all these many years. These cult pastors employ the, the very same tactic, ignorance. Because they have no good explanation for why they continue to promote lies instead of truth, and because they wish that things could just go back to the way they were before Branham's deception was uncovered, they try to push the ignorance onto the people. Why? They tell their congregations that wisdom in itself is worldly, and that worldliness is the pathway to hell, which it is. But, to some extent, even though they may be correct, in their last-ditch effort to keep the followers ignorant, they misuse the, world, the words wisdom and the word worldly. To tell their followers to avoid wisdom, which is what they're now calling searching out your own salvation by proving the doctrines, to tell them this is not only foolish, but it is entirely wrong. To do so, the ignorant follower must tear the entire book of Proverbs out of their Bible and pretend that it was never there. King Solomon, he was the wisest man in the entire Bible, and many of the things he wrote in Proverbs are very sound teachings. And it's, it's a funny thing, that word, worldliness. It has became a catch-all a catch-all word when you're bound by the chains of a harmful religious cult. I remember growing up, I would look at other Christians in awe, studying them after being told that they were worldly. And for most cult followers, the word worldliness has about 80% to do with the way they dress. <laughs> yes, I pulled that 80% number out of my hat because it was the favorite percentage of William Branham for a statistic that he just made up on the fly. I made that up. I don't know the percentage. The point is that most religious cults and other false religions 
are all the same. Worldliness to them is considered an outward thing. Worldliness, the word worldliness, it was the warning sign that was shining from the non-cult member's body, emanating a glow of worldliness. And we were taught that these lights shone directly from the heart. Earrings were worldly. Though God described his own bride as having earrings and a nose ring to Isaiah, to this cult, these things were worldly. Why? Likely because everyone outside the cult, most everyone, wore them. It's much easier to separate yourselves away and become a cult when the entire world around you looks a certain way. You can see, physically, you can see the difference. Another sign of worldliness was shorter hair on women. Not short enough to look like a man, but just simply having scissors on them at one time or another. But here's the funny part. Even the cult women, who at any time in their lives had placed scissors on their hair, were marked forever. They would be the lower class in this cult because they had touched a scissor to their own hair. Television was worldly. Movies were worldly. Music that had any sort of drums in the background was worldly. The definition of worldliness varied from cult church to cult church to cult church. <clears throat> the headquarters in Jeffersonville preaches against any type of instrument that is played in the church besides a piano or an organ. Even clapping your hands, using your hands as an instrument, is worldly. Yet other churches in the same cult have a full band on the platform and, and those evil electric guitars. But see, none of this, absolutely none of it, does the Bible describe as worldly. All of these are man-made rules applied to a concept that was built on false pretenses. They were the invisible fence around the commune that sat in the open city. I can clearly see the difference on the other side of the fence, why those people have an earring in their ear. Maybe they're the part of God's bride that had the earring. Who knows? Even Merriam-Webster knew more than these cult leaders did about worldliness. Webster describes the true meaning of worldliness as this. Of relating to or devoting to this world and its pursuits rather than religion or spiritual affairs. The kingdom of heaven may not have television. Then again, it may. Who knows? What it will not have is sin. The television that we have today is filled with sin. But then again, there are some good, pure, wholesome programs that further education, establish morals, rightful standards, and, and are very entertaining. If, by chance, the kingdom of heaven does have television, it will not contain the sin that we see today. It will not have this filth on display. In fact, what it would be is like the other Christians watch in this world, enjoying this box by filtering out the sinful programming by themselves. 
It's almost as if they are stronger Christians than the cult because they know how to be good and not abuse the thing. This is an example of a worldly doctrine. The single teaching of the television alone, being worldly, applies only to this world and not the world to come. It has absolutely nothing, not one thing, to do with religion or spiritual affairs. It is simply a rule that is set in place by a wolf in sheep's clothing. The Apostle Paul describes worldliness all throughout his letters. Never is it about anything superficial. Never is it about something that is contained in a box. It is always pointed to the heart and how our faith should be in Jesus Christ. To Paul, worldliness was pride. Worldliness was selfishness. Worldly was all of the things that mankind has suffered by greed and love of money and selfishness. Everything that breaks the, the two most powerful commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And love thy neighbor as thyself. Let me ask you this. If you were to look at another woman with bobbed hair, because of her worldliness, what you called worldliness, and you looked down upon her, is that truly loving your neighbor as thyself? Do you love this person who has cut her hair enough to give your own life to save? Or do you look at her and feel that she is atomic fodder? because she did not listen to that cult leader. <laughs> it's crazy. Ephesians 4 gives a very good example of worldliness. Paul says this, Now I say this, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance. They were alienated because of their ignorance. The same thing that these cult pastors are pushing on their people, saying the opposite of ignorance is worldliness. Paul continues, Due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous, and have given themselves up to sensuality, the worship of angels, speaking things into existence like <laughs> squirrels, <laughs> greedy to practice every kind of impurity. He says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. These people were pretty worldly when Paul met them. Paul told them that to gain salvation, you must believe in Christ. He didn't come and tell them, now don't look at the little box in the corner of your room because that's worldly. It made no sense. He said, believe in Christ and you shall be saved. This is exactly the problem that we have in these cult churches. Futility of their minds. Their understanding of worldliness truly has become so darkened that it even varies. The definition of worldliness varies from church to church. If you do not 
enjoy drums in your sermons, in your song leaders' uh, worship. Simply go to Jeffersonville, and you'll be right there with them because they hate those drums. But if you're one of the people that enjoy it, if you're one of the people that enjoy one of the hundreds of instruments that David built, and you feel that David has a better understanding of instruments and godliness than this little cult in Jeffersonville does, simply go to another church. You'll find a full band sitting up on the platform playing as the worship goes. Yes, with drums, for those in Jeff who never leave. All you have to do is just move around. If you like slits in the bottom of your skirts, and you realize that if the women in the church in Jeffersonville have a shirt that's this long, and you have a skirt that's this long, and you slid it up to exactly where they are, it's no different. <laughs> You're showing just as much leg. It's craziness. If, if you think that that's silly, move away. You'll find every single definition of worldliness known to man around the world. You'll find pastors with televisions. You'll find women with earrings. You'll find everything. Just move around because they're not founded in the Bible. Recently, near Jeffersonville, a tornado come in and hit a small town, totally devastated the entire structure of the town. It made national news. Help from all over the nation started pouring in. Christian churches established little help centers in the city, and donations from around the country was given to help the poor, to help those who could not afford to rebuild. <clears throat> I sat in a Baptist church at the time, and I watched as a special offering was taken up from the people, given to help, and I watched as people who also struggled financially openly gave to their neighbors because they loved their neighbors more than they love themselves. Then I watched as the headquarters, Voice of God Recordings, I watched as this cult denomination became greedy. I watched as the cult churches locally became greedy. Those that were in the cult and were devastated by this tornado, even some who never even darkened the door of a church, were treated with love and respect, and, and the cult came quickly to their aid. One of my family members lost almost everything, and much was given to them in replacement, which is great, I'm very thankful for. But here's the point. Other Christians, some who lost family members to the power of this tornado, some who lost everything, Christians, were looked down upon as they were crying, filtering through the rubble of what once used to be their home. The cult just passed them by. Children standing on top of what used to be the floor in their bedrooms, hoping to find one single toy from the day before. Children crying because they do not understand what just happened all just in need as these cult followers that are shown the love. The, the cult headquarters just basically took this tragedy and they smeared it in the face. The website declared how not a single one of God's children were harmed by the storm. 
while other Christians lost everything, family members, limbs, Christian people. This is worldliness coming straight out of the headquarters. And it angers me to watch how greedy they can be sitting on top of a hundred million dollars that they could overlook the lives of other Christians. It angers me how they can smear it in their faces taking the words God's children as if they're the only of God's children. They ought to be ashamed of themselves. Colossians 3 tells us that this worldliness that is on display during this event is idolatry. And it says we need to turn our hearts back to Christ and love of fellow men. We need to stop being like the example that is set forth in the cult headquarters. We need to remember that the two commandments that Christ said were the foundation of all the other commandments. Both included love one for another. Paul says this, tells us to look beyond the things of this world and look to the kingdom of heaven. He says in Colossians 3, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. Television doesn't matter. Pants do not matter. None of this stuff matters. Look to Christ. Set your mind on things above. For if you have died <coughs> and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, to understand the New Testament, you must first understand what Paul just said about your own life. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this is also the most beautiful description of what the other Trinitarian churches, the ones that were overlooked, believe. Christ is at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit has sealed us, and we are hidden with Christ in God. If we think that this cult's definition of worldly has any impact on our salvation one way or another, we do not understand this passage. This life, this sinful life that I live, the ones that you live, this sinful body means nothing. It's rotten. It's completely rotted away. We are hidden with Christ. Christ is our life, and when he appears, we will appear with him. Put to death, Paul continues, put to death what is earthly in you. And then he describes some, some things that he considers to be worldly. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. He says, which is idolatry. These things are idolatry. He says, on account of these, <clears throat> on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It will make that tornado to which these greedy places overlooked 
seem like just a little grain of sand in a beach full of millions of sand particles. It'll make that tornado seem so insignificant. They'll look back and they'll say, why were we so greedy? Why were we so selfish? Which Paul calls idolatry. Not only does Paul condemn these things, he goes on and he describes the, the good versus the evil. In some of these things, like sexual immorality, the cult does restrain from. Do not, don't get me wrong. But what about evil desire? What about considering this one life, because they're a member of this cult, is so blessed. But this other Christian over here, he's scum of the earth. What about passion? How many of you have considered passion as idolatry? How much passion were in those lies that William Branham told? So much that you were you bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Covetousness. How many of you around this area were so greedy, covetousness, that you wanted to keep your own things? You did not want to donate and help these other people. Ah, they're cannon fodder anyway. Let them fend for themselves doesn't make any sense if you're a Christian. How many lies did the prophet tell besides the little tiny bit of truth? Paul says, in these things you once walked and you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. <clears throat> and then he gives more, more things that he considers idolatry. Anger. Wrath. Malice, slander, obscene talk. I broke the first one earlier in this video. I was angry. And Paul says that is wrong. I just sinned. Malice, slander. When William Branham lied to us about what other Trinitarians believe, that is slander. Obscene talk. He says, do not lie one to another. Yet we have a cult pastor, leader, evangelist, prophet, who lied 80% of his ministry. And I, yes, I pulled that number out of a hat like he did again. He says, do not lie one to another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and you've put on a new self, <coughs> which is being renewed in what? Ignorance. <laughs> in knowledge. The very thing that the cult pastors are saying is worldliness. Take what Paul says is evil and take what Paul says is righteous and flip them around and you've got what these cult pastors are feeding you every Sunday. He says, put on the new self which is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Who created knowledge? William Branham said Satan did. Who did Paul say knowledge was created from? The Creator. Is he talking about Satan? How many lies did this cult pastor say from behind the pulpit? There's so many, it's almost uncountable. And now that the cult followers know this, they simply brush it away as, well, he was human and he made mistakes. I cry foul. If they simply believe that,
then why for years did they preach it from behind their pulpits? They've made themselves a liar. They preached it behind the pulpits that this prophet made no mistakes, especially when he said, Thus saith the Lord. But now that they found that he did make mistakes when he said, Thus saith the Lord, that he did declare things as thus saith the Lord that did not happen. Oh, it's okay. He was a human. Why do they preach these lies instead of scriptural fact for all these years if they think, well, he was just human? Why do they call this the voice of God recordings? God does not lie. Paul continues, and this is interesting. He says, <coughs> hence, there is not Greek and Jew, there is not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but in Christ is all and all. You see, Paul did not look at the worldly things that this cult calls worldly. He looked at the heart. Would any single member of this cult consider a barbarian as equal to themselves? If the barbarian were from the jungles of the Amazon, clothed only with just a few leaves around his loins, would this cult sit at a table and fellowship with him? Would they even let him sit in the pew? And how many anti-Semitic teachings did the prophet bring to you? Let's just take a look at a few. 1951, 718 is the tape index. You know a Jew, not all of them, but some of them, they want money. There are actually corporations that will fire you from your job if you say this. Of the Apostle Paul, he says, Ah, you know, little hook-nosed Jew. 1953, 326 is the tape index. Of Jesus Christ, he asked this question. <clears throat> what if you see him and he's a real dark Jew? If he is this, I don't care what he looks like. He's my Savior. 1953, 614. He says in 1954, January 3rd, Now remember, the church is not his servants. We are his sons, not his servants. The Jew is always his servant. He says this in 1954. 5.14 is the tape index. <coughs> he says, for the tables are full of vomit. <laughs> and then in parentheses, they have it by the uh, translation. He says, speaking of this day, and he goes on to say, and filthiness, so that there is no clean place. And then also in parentheses, by the cult headquarters, he says, brother, if that wasn't a picture of the Jew. Vomit. I could go on. I'm only sitting at 1954, and you know how many tapes there are past 1954. I could go on and show you how the influence of the, the Freemasons and the KKK 
changed William Branham. I'm not going to. Because it sickens me to even read this filth. This is the idolatry that Paul talks about. Paul continues. And Paul tells us, <clears throat> the very next part of this chapter, Paul tells us what we should do. Not what the cult tells you you should do. He says, put on then as God's holy chosen ones, holy and beloved, <coughs> compassionate hearts. You need to care for those people that were affected by the storm that aren't sending you money. He says kindness. Show those people love. There's a child standing there crying, digging through the rubble just to find a toy that's not broken. Kindness. Humility. We're no better than the Jews like this false prophet started saying. We're all equal. And meekness. This is a cult leader, William Branham, who stood there on the platform and said, At the judgment, you will answer to me. Boo! <laughs> it's crazy. It is not the life that Paul wants us to live. He says meekness and patience. What I'm doing right now is very patient. I don't want to be doing any of this, and you can probably tell by my tone that I'm tired of saying the same thing over and over, but nobody's listening. We've got two million people who are following a cult of idolatry, according to what Paul just said. He says, bearing with one another, and that's what I'm trying to do. I don't want to be doing this. I've made nothing but enemies, but I'm suffering through it because there are other people on the earthly plane there's a child digging for his toy on the spiritual plane there's a child who never had a toy Paul says if one is has a complaint against another <coughs> forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you I was outcast for the first simple question not because I did anything wrong. At that point in time, I still believed that this liar was a prophet. I just asked a question. Why is Billy Paul such an old man? California is still standing. And this prophet prophesied that California would sink before he was an old man. He says, sharks will be swimming right where you're standing, Billy, before you're an old man. I just asked the question. It wasn't forgiveness that I got. I was shunned from the entire cult. He says, <clears throat> Paul says, you must also must forgive. But above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all ignorance. No. The point I'm trying to make is ignorance is the way of the cult. Paul said, admonishing one another in all wisdom. He says, <coughs> singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As Christians, we should ask ourselves, why does this call instruct for us to do the very thing that Paul condemns and calls idolatry? Why do we ignore the very things that Paul say we should apply to our lives? I'll leave you with this question. Is this perfect love?